what comes to your mind when we say, let us pray? What is it? How do you feel about that? When you say, let us pray, do you just drop your head? Do you just start thinking of issues in your life? Or is it something more? Because God wants it to be more. Let us pray actually is a precursor to us touching God and his glory and opening our lives to something that is ethereal, it's spiritual, it's wonderful. It's not just us talking to God and offloading. It's about us connecting to a living God who is what this prayer speaks of. And I think the, one of the issues being is that the Lord's Prayer is so well known that somehow it loses its power, its potency, its relevance. It's, it's so amazing. And this is the first of a Lent study on the prayers of Jesus. Let me just read Matthew 6. And first, it's Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount telling us how not to pray. And then he tells us how to pray. So Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites... For they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. do, For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever. And God's people said, Can I just say this, uh, the prayers of Jesus, which is the the basis of the next six weeks. Um, Some of you know I'm an editor of Living Light, and uh, 
there are some complimentary copies of this available um, in the foyer, should you like it. Um, they're daily readings for the next quarter. And the subject is praying like Jesus. Yeah. And there's, there are 13 instances in the New Testament of Jesus praying or the Holy Spirit praying. And so if you'd like one of those, please do take one. Do you know there's been more books and videos and teachings on prayer than probably any other subject? How to pray, the need to pray, types of prayer. Prayers of the great and lofty Christians that have gone on to be with the Lord and have achieved great things. And yet if you are like me, probably prayer is one of the hardest things that we grapple with. I mean truly praying. I find it easier in a, in a, a, a big group like this. Um, but sometimes I, on my own, I, I really struggle. My mind goes and I feel like I've been praying for a little while and I find that I've, it's an even little, little while I've been praying. And if you want to learn about prayer, I suppose it's right that we learn from the Master, isn't it? Yeah? We learn from Jesus. Because his prayers must be the prayers that we will model our lives on. And this is the centerpiece of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Jesus had been speaking about some really wonderful, high and lofty things. Being sought and light, godly living. Loving our enemies, meeting people's needs. He was raising the bar so high. This manifesto of what it is to be a Christian. And then, in the middle of that, he gives the Lord's Prayer. There's a parallel account in, in Luke 11, verse 1. I think that will come up just the beginning of it. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place... When he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So he said, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And a little later on he says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And he who knocks, it is or it will be opened. Is it enough for us to memorize the Lord's Prayer? It's probably the first thing we did while we were at school, some of us. And to repeat it, is that, is that what the Lord's saying? Is when we say these, these, these wonderful words, could we be actually guilty of falling into the things that Jesus was saying don't be? Just vain repetition, being proud that we know it. 
the disciples observed something in Jesus. And that was his prayer life. They observed how he prayed. They observed his relationship with his father. And they observed that out of that prayer life, that communion with the Father, while it was still dark, he went to a solitary place and prayed. He connected with God, that he would come from that place and speak to them and things would happen. They'd observe this. And they'd observe that John taught his disciples how to pray. And so one of the disciples comes to Jesus, praise God he did, and says, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us what it is, what this mystery is, how you connect with your heavenly Father to such an extent that miracles happen, that lives are transformed, that you speak the words that you speak, that you just are the person that you are. And he starts by saying, Our Father in heaven. That's the next slide. When we pray, is there an expectation that something amazing is going to happen as a consequence? You know, there's just 66 words in this prayer. 66 words. Amazing words, transforming words. You know, praying, Jesus says, it it should be easy. It's not an issue of being religious. The essence of it is just communicating with our Father in heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what we're doing. We're speaking to our Father in heaven. The Holy One. And prayer is the barometer in our life of our dependence upon our Father in heaven and our love for him because he loves us to pray. Firstly, there's a way of entering his presence. It's neither dear sir, nor is it hi father. He is my friend and he is almighty God. How we approach him reveals more about us than it does him. Bartimaeus maybe had it right when he said, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. God immediately connected with that prayer. And he was wonderfully, wonderfully healed. He is not our servant. He's our Lord. Hallelujah. It's not an issue of my prayer life being do this, do that. Bless this one, bless that one. And when you finish with that, could you help me with this? As though all of a sudden I've become Lord. And he's become my servant. 
our Father in heaven. Heaven, a place of authority, a place of security. You notice in this little prayer, our and us appears five times. Take a moment just to consider what it means for us together to say our Father. Can we say that? Say with me, our Father. And again, our Father. Something's happening. Something happens when we together confess the truth. He's no, not just my Father. He's our Father. The Father of the church. All of a sudden, unity begins to flow. All of a sudden, a oneness happens. And we're not separated. We're joined. He's our protector, our provider, our counsellor, our teacher, our guide, the lover of our soul. And he's in heaven. He is in heaven. And it transports my mind from earth and all the things that crowd in on me and all the issues that I have and all the problems that surround me to a place that is quite different. Heaven. Where Jesus reigns and our God presides. It takes me to my creator, the almighty one, the all-knowing one. I'm not talking to myself or to a friend, but one who set the stars into space. And faith begins to rise when I realize who I'm talking to and who is listening. And as faith rise, fear confounds the enemy. This is why it's the, your prayer life is the battleground of your life. Because it's a connection of you and God. That's why the enemy would do all he can. Hallowed be thy name. We move on. I'm not very good with PowerPoints, but uh, yeah, it's the best I could do, I'm afraid. But it's everything because it's the word of God. Hallowed, as Joan was telling us, treat us holy. Glorified be your name. I set it apart when I say that above every other name. There is no other name like the name. It is above, it's beyond. It's taken me somewhere where I wasn't before I started praying. It is high above all others. It sets the context of my prayer. I'm under the covering of the holiness of God. Hallelujah. I stop asking God to bless things that are unholy. I cannot do it. He cannot do it. It brings me to a point of righteousness. Because at its heart, the, the prayer is a cry for mercy. It says, Father, forgive. We are talking to the one whose voice 
formed and shakes the earth. Acts 4.31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. We were created for God, not vice versa. Holy, revered, special, set apart in Hebrews 12, 28. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. You know, it's so important that our prayer is consistent with God's will and God's way, the rule and reign of Jesus. Over 50 years ago, when I had just become a Christian, someone gave me the verse, Matthew six thirty-three: Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. This prayer is about seeking his righteousness, his will, and then as a consequence, almost without asking, my father's going to look after me because he knows. And what he wants to give me is better than I can ask. Is that true? Do you believe it? What he thinks I, I need to live the life he wants me to live is not always the same of what I want and that I ask. Some, this, this beautiful prayer is aligning me with God's will. He's taking me from earth to a heavenly place with a heavenly perspective And placing myself under the holiness of God. On earth as it is in heaven. There's obedience and harmony in heaven. As I said, our faith increases as we pray this prayer. We turn our eyes upon Jesus and we look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth you've sung it haven't you will show grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace things have changed as I look into the face of Jesus what a prayer we did this more we'd worry a lot less I remember when I first went to the, the Congo and I remember the, the Lord speaking to me almost it was on the plane he said Ian I don't want you to ask anything I just want you to be and do and whatever you were asked to do forget your expectations Ian Forget what you want to eat and what you want to do, how much rest you want or anything. Just do what you're asked to do. And I did that to the best of my ability. 
And for 17 days, I lived under an open heaven. 17 of the most glorious days of my life. I was asked to preach 34 times in 17 days. On one Sunday alone, I had to preach in six different churches. And at the end of that 17 days, I felt fresh as a daisy. I felt because I was taken almost spiritually aquaplaning with God. And it's simple. Whatever he says to you, do it. But you have to hear him. Give us this day our daily bread. He's saying, this is a faith thing today. Now. Now. Faith is a now thing, you know. Bread is our necessity. It's not not my luxury. It's just what I need to exist and live. To the people in those days, they knew what daily bread it was. It was manna. It was what God gave them in the wilderness. That that sustained them for 40 years. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I'll have too much and disown you. That's Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Job twenty-three, twelve. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Deuteronomy 4, 4. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Maybe this prayer is a challenge to us to think about our lifestyles. Maybe to live a little more simple, more responsibly, more thankfully, because we've got a lot to be thankful for, haven't we? Yeah? He's a wonderful God. And just ask for our daily bread is everything. Give us, not give me. Give us, give those around us. And if I'm the answer to this prayer, Lord, I'm listening. It's not a selfish prayer. It's declaring our our dependence upon God. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Most of you would much prefer to say sins because that's what you grew to know. But debts, in a way, is a much better word because it means you owe something to someone. Sin means you've done something. I owe something to God for what I've done, but I can't put it right. I need him. I need his forgiveness. You know, we we do need sufficient to live materially, 
But how about our spiritual lives? This is moving from the temporal to the spiritual. What is Jesus saying? What is he saying? Why pray this in the middle of the prayer? Forgiveness all of a sudden. Where did it come from? Because it matters to God. Sin matters to God. And therefore, it needs forgiving. I need forgiveness and I need to forgive. Mark eleven twenty five. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Ephesians four thirty two. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Hallelujah. Father, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. I mean, as I was praying this morning, I was aware that that this could be just an instruction. You know, teachers instruct. And I, I heard somewhere a while back that preachers move people. We need to be instructed, but we need to be moved. We need something to be moving in our lives, in our hearts, that this is not just cerebral. that this prayer actually moves us from where we are to somewhere where we need to be. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Tell me, I've got a question for you. Can God tempt you? Yeah, it's gone quiet. Well, it was quiet before I asked the question, but it's even quieter now. Can he tempt you? It's not a catch question. It's a straightforward question, isn't it? Uh Then why are we asking a prayer? If we're asking him to do something that he'd never do. James 1.13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Because temptation is wanting us to fall. Temptation is all about doubt. Temptation is about drawing me away from God. So is God going to do that? There's not, is he? For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Do not lead us into temptation. It's a sort of figure of speech. It's like Totti's. It expresses the truth by stating the opposite. It really means rather lead me away from temptation, Lord. Save me from falling into temptation. 
because there's an evil one around that is he prowls around like a like a waiting lion wanting to pounce he wants to draw you away from the father there is a real battle going on and this prayer states it clearly for us temptation is ever present and in praying like this we acknowledge our frailty Satan is not all powerful, but he is a deceiver. Even when Jesus was in the wilderness and had come to the end of 40 days of prayer and fasting, the evil one came to him and said, if you are the son of God, then turn these rocks into bread. Not long before that, God had spoken from heaven and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. A while later, the devil is saying, if you are the son of God, there's one that would put doubts and fear in your mind, wanting to draw you away from the father. Lead us not into temptation. For yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. So you could just move on to the final slide. It's the kingdom prayer. It started with the kingdom, the kingdom come, and for yours is the kingdom. This kingdom sandwich, you are a child of the kingdom of God. You're a child of the king. You belong to the kingdom. You're no longer in the kingdom of this world. This is the king's prayer to you. This is the king's prayer to a disciple. It's, no, it's not the Lord's prayer. He gave it. But he gave it to the, the children of the king for you and me. And it starts and ends with this great truth that we are children of the kingdom we're a holy nation a royal priesthood we're a people belonging to god we've been bought with a price we're no longer our own we are his does that deserve a amen Amen. or a hallelujah we pray accordingly we're not just those that are being kicked around and, and battle-weary. The victory has been won. Hallelujah. And we're called to enter into the victory, into the kingdom. We've been set free from a dominion of sin and death and darkness into this glorious kingdom of light. Hallelujah. It's about God and you, this prayer. Even more, it's about God and us. 66 words. I've probably used 6,000 words to say what Jesus said in 66. That's the measure of the difference between him and me. Yeah. Yeah. And I pray that whenever you say this prayer, whenever, ever you read it, 
It lifts you. Not into, I know this so well. But I know him so well. And I love him. And I want to live according to this. Bread is about today. Forgiveness is about the past. Being led is about the future. He's got you. And he wants to keep you. And he wants to transform you. He wants you to be like him. That the kingdom is all about the king and it's about his subjects. It's a powerful statement. Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Not yours is kingdom, yours is power and yours is glory. There's a definite article in there. Yours is the kingdom. Believe it. Believe it. Hallelujah. Yours is the power. And yours is the glory. And he shares it with his people, his church. So it ends in triumph. This prayer reveals God as our Father, our King, our Master, our Provider, our Saviour and our Guide. What more could we want? What more could we ask for? What more could we, we believe in? Your Father, your King, your Master, your provider, your saviour, and your guide. Billericay Baptist, Father. Billericay Baptist, King. Billericay Baptist, Master. Billericay Baptist, Provider. Billericay Baptist, Saviour. And Billericay Baptist, Guide. To him be all the praise, honour, and glory forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Just as the musicians come, let, let me pray. Father, I simply pray for myself and everyone here. Father, through this prayer that we may align ourselves with the will of God for our lives, for this church, Lord. And we all have total dependence upon you, just where we are. Father, there are some here that are struggling with life, with relationships, with mental health, with needs, Father, with hurts, with emotional, Father, some struggling with loss, struggling with self-doubt, struggling even with faith, Father, itself. 
Holy Spirit, descend as we worship just a little bit longer, Lord. And would you give us our daily bread? You know what we need, Lord. May our hands be open towards you. That you might be glorified. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.